Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. We're in the third message of our series, Me and My Big Mouth. So we're talking about some of the ways we get ourselves into trouble with our big mouths. And uh, throughout this series, I want to remind you of this truth. I'm going to say this at every message, because there is power in the words that we speak. There's po- our words have power. Even if you feel like, I'm powerless, I'm nobody, your words have power. And they have the power, the Bible says this in Proverbs 18:21: death and life are in the power of the tongue. Every one of us have that, that capability to speak life or to speak death. So hopefully through the series, I want to challenge you to to use your words to promote life, to choose your words, to be a good steward of your words to promote life rather than death. So not only do our words have the power to promote, promote life or death, our, our words also reveal something about our hearts. It tells us something about the nature of our heart or the attitude of our heart. Look at what Jesus says in uh, Matthew 12, 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks because the mouth will often reveal the heart. So if our words are critical, if they're harsh, if they're judgmental, if they're untruthful, aren't our words revealing something about the nature of our heart? And the answer is yes, absolutely. It's it's exposing the attitude of our heart. So last week we talked about uh, criticism, and this week we're going to talk about lying. So when I was was preparing for this message, I came across uh, this story, and it says a minister was walking down the street when he came upon a group of about two dozen boys all of them between the ages of 10 and 12. The group had a dog surrounded. Concerned the boys were going to hurt the dog, the minister went over and asked, what are you doing with the dog? One of the boys replied, this dog is a stray and we all want him, but only one of us can take him home. So we've decided to, that whoever can tell the biggest lie, they'll get to keep the dog. Of course, the minister is taken back by this and He said, you boys shouldn't be having a contest about telling lies. And then he launched, like any good preacher would, into a 10-minute sermon. And he tells them, he begins the sermon this way. Don't you boys know that it's a sin to lie? And he concludes it this way. When I was your age, I never told a lie. There was dead silence for about a minute. Just as the minister thought he was beginning to, to get their attention, it was sinking in. The smallest boy gave the deep sigh, and he says, all right, give him the dog. Some studies indicate that the average person lies four times a day. Four times a day. In fact, uh, the University of Massachusetts conducted a study and found this, that 60% of all people cannot meet a new person, have a 10-minute conversation without telling at least one lie. How, how does God feel about lying? What, what do you think, the, what's the heart of God towards lying? And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 12, 22 it says this the lord detests lying lips but he delights in people who are trustworthy so the lord detests lying lips but delights in people who are trustworthy that word detest uh, that i have highlighted there in the hebrew it simply means this it, it means something disgusting it means an annoyance an abomination something something that makes one nauseous so Figuratively, it, when we lie, when we don't tell the truth, it makes God nauseous, st- just sick at his stomach. But there are many things that are abominable to God, and lying is one. So let's look at uh, Ephesians 
We're going to read verses 20 through 25. It says that, however, it is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ, in, in Jesus. Uh, verse 22 and 23, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put off the old self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we all are all, all members of one body. Paul tells us, take off the old self, put on the new self. The old self is corrupted. The old self will speak lies. The new self that is being renewed in the image of Christ is the opposite. It, it seeks truth. It desires truth. I once heard a preacher say this, when you're lying, you are most like the devil. When you're lying, you're most like the devil. I think Jesus would agree with that statement because look what he says in John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, father of lies. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why God hates lying so much, because his spiritual enemy, our spiritual enemy, the prince of darkness, the, the great deceiver, he uses deception and lies as one of his most powerful weapons, if not the most powerful weapon. But remember this, church, Jesus is the truth. He is the truth, and the truth will set us free. The devil is a liar, and he will take lies, and he will use them in order to steal truth from us. So what is the devil's plan when he speaks his native language? It's to coerce us away from the truth. So how does Satan try to coerce us from the truth? And I, I want to point out three ways that he tries to coerce us away from the truth. Number one, Satan wants to get us to lie. He wants to get us to speak his native language. Satan wants us to, to use his language speaking lies. And it could be something as simple as this, exaggerating a story. Nobody exaggerated a story, right? But it's a lie. It could be cheating on a test. It could be lying about where we've been or what we've done. It could be making something up about someone we don't like. Here's one that we often fall into. We, we begin to share things that are partially true. And I think sometimes we fall into this, this case of where, well, this is what I know, so this is what I'm going to share, when we should just shut our big mouths. So it's amazing how often we lie because of our sinful nature. And if allowed, your sinful nature will speak lies. Why? Because your sinful nature has fallen. It's, it's deceptive by nature. Remember, the, the Bible talks about the heart being uh, deceitful above all things. So I, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I never lie. But it's shocking that sometimes, even on stuff that doesn't matter, I could kind of start stretching the truth a little bit, just building up on the truth a little bit. And I th I'm sure that many of us have done this, something similar. But what are we doing? We're really speaking the devil's native, native language. And I'm sure we all have stories that we could tell, humorous stories. Well, we can kind of laugh about those stories. And at the same times where, where we maybe have expanded on something or got caught in a lie or, or shared something that wasn't quite true, and we got found out, and it was kind of a humorous situation. While we can laugh at it, we're still speaking Satan's language. We're still speaking his native language. So number one, Satan wants to get us to lie. Number two, Satan wants to get us to believe our lies. So he gets us to, to lie about things, lie about ourselves, 
not just lying to others, but when that happens, when we begin to speak lies, he wants us to believe those lies. And what happens is when we start to lie, we start to rationalize those lies. Occasionally, we might even double down on those lies. We start telling another lie to cover up a previous lie. You ever been there before? And before long, we just start believing that lie. And there are some of us who have lied so much to others, we're, we're starting to believe those lies. And even at some point, rationalized our sinfulness, making excuses for it. Well, we might say this, well, I'm not that bad. Or, it's not a big deal. Or, I, I, can, I can quit any time. It's not my fault. I'm the victim. It's someone else's fault. It's not my fault. I mean, the, the ways we rationalize lies just incredible. So what eventually happens is this. We aren't just lying to others, we begin lying to ourselves. And this is exactly what happened with King David in the Old Testament. When he thought he was above the rules, he's the king. He has this, this just, at this time in his life, I think his, his ego is just really large. You know, he's conquered and he's, he's battled, he's victorious. And there was a time when everybody should be off the war. The king should be at war, but David's back home. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be out on the front with his men, leading the charge. I mean, David was a, was a, was a king. He was a mighty king. He was a, a, a king who would lead his troops in the battle. They had respect. They honored him. I mean, him just showing up to the battlefront would just ensure victory. They'd have such confidence in him. But he's back at home during this, this time of war. And he finds himself up on the roof one night. I believe he's up there for several different reasons. I think one of them could be this. He's just looking over his kingdom. He's looking over his city. He's looking over Jerusalem. And he, he's paying attention to it. But there's a woman naked and she's bathing. David, you know, we know the, the story, but let's just make it short. He basically orders his servant to get her, bring him to her. And David commits adultery with her and she becomes pregnant. In order to uh, kind of cover over his affair, to cover over his, his sin, he begins lying. And you know, lying just never ends good, does it? You tell one lie, you have to tell another. Finally, he, he devises this plan. I'm going to bring this woman's husband back from the battlefront. Hopefully, they'll, they'll get together because he's been away from her for a long time. She can become pregnant then and cover over his sin. It doesn't work out that way. You know, Uriah is a more honorable man. He's like, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't have relations with my wife when our, my men are out on the battlefield. So he doesn't give in, and so David at some points has to devise another scheme. Instead of just coming clean, instead of just coming and telling the truth, David has this man just really murdered. The, the heat of the battle puts him in the front lines and then pulls away the support from him, and he dies in battle. And later on we know that Nathan's the prophet, and Nathan confronts David. Nathan tells him this story, and I just love the story. There's a rich and powerful man who had more wealth, more herds, more animal than anyone else, anyone you can ever imagine. This, this man has everything. And there was this poor man down the road who only had one lamb, and he, he loves that lamb like it's one of his pets. It's not a meal, it's a pet. It's a part of his family. And one day, a hungry person comes to the rich man's house, and instead of killing one of his own animals, which he has plenty, he goes and he takes the one lamb from the poor man, has it slaughtered, and he feeds the hungry man. And you know, David hears this story, and he's furious. He's burning with anger. It's the worst thing I've ever heard. This man should be put to death. It's a horrendous crime. And Nathan looks at David, and he says this. He says, Ataish, you are the one. You are the man. You are the one. Ataish, you are the one. You are the one that's been lying. You are the one lying to yourself. You've believed these lies. You've deceived yourself. Now you're living apart from God's truth. What does our enemy want us to do? He wants us to speak 
his native language. He is the father of lies, and there is no truth in him. And if he can convince us to lie, if he can lead us away from the truth, the truth of God's word, then he has become another step, another step in his plan. So number one, he wants us to speak lies. Number two, he wants us to believe lies. And I think this is the masterpiece of his plan. Number three, Satan wants us to live a lie. He wants us to live a lie. Not just speaking them or believing them, but he actually wants us to live a lie. To claim to be one thing, but to be something entirely different. Claim to be one thing, but to be something entirely different. Let me just say this. Um, obviously, this doesn't apply to everyone. But unquestionably, it does apply to some. You know, you could be here at church today, you could be, you know, Mr. Perfect Christian, but at home you're, you're viewing porn and you're a porn addict. Or you could be this, you could be on social media, everything looks perfect, everything looks just great, but inside you're dealing with depression. You might be Pinterest mom, everything looks great, everything matches, everything smells good, looks good, but inside you feel lonely and forgotten. You may appear to have the perfect marriage, but you go home and you sleep in separate beds. Stories go on and on, the scenarios. There are those of you who might feel a little uncomfortable right now, but thank God that's the Holy Spirit, amen? Challenges. The Holy Spirit might be working on some of you saying this, Ataish, or Ataisha. It's actually you. And please don't ever feel condemned. When the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and he brings conviction, that's a good thing, amen? I always say this, welcome conviction into your life because conviction is a means of God's grace. Now, condemnation is from the devil. See, grace says this, that there's always a way back. There's always a way to turn. You can turn from the way you're going, the direction you're going, and you can go the right way, and I'll restore you, and I'll have you as my own. But condemnation says, I'm worthless. I'll never, God will never accept me. God will never have me. I've done too many bad things. That's the devil speaking. That's lies. So if you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you today, saying it's you, that listen, welcome that. God's grace and his mercy is so great for you. But the devil, he's, he's an effective deceiver. And there's many people, and I, and I just, I can't stress this, that not many people in our community, and even some who attend our church, are, who just deceive, living a lie. And here's what I mean. They believe they are a Christian, but they're not. They may have grown up in a Christian home. They may believe in God. They may believe in the Bible. They may believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. That's great. But, you know, they'll, they'll justify, say, well, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not anti-God. I believe the Bible. Every once in a while we pray for our meals. I'll read a Bible story to kids, but there's really no ongoing spiritual evidence in their lives that they are born again. Tree is, the tree is known by its fruit. That's just so basic to, to the gospel that Jesus shared. Look what John said in 1 John 2, verses 4 and 6. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Now listen, church, I didn't write that. This is God's word. And it's a challenge to us, isn't it? It's a challenge. And it's not calling us for perfection. It's just calling evidence. It's calling for proof. It's calling for spiritual fruit in our lives. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Again, that's all under the umbrella of God's grace and mercy. God doesn't expect you to have it all down as soon as you get saved. But he does understand this. He knows the heart, and he knows the mind, and he knows the desires of our heart. 
And if our desires is towards righteousness, if our desires is to be more like Jesus, he honors that. There is grace for mistakes. But when we just live a lie, church, we are in a very dangerous, dangerous place. When we just play the part, we just go through the flow, but we know something's lacking, something's missing, something's not right. They're, 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 I just, I'm empty inside. There's a void. Remember, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Is he speaking to you? Ataish. I know we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. But listen, grace leads to works. And I like to say this, grace leads to spiritual fruit. So if we're born again, there should be an ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. And it's evident. It's evident to ourselves, and it's evident to others. We say we know Jesus. We, if we say we know him, then we should resemble him. But if we don't resemble him, if we don't obey his commands, Jesus said, or John said, this person is a liar, and the truth is not in them. So we live in a very, very religious community. We're not anti-God. We're not anti-Bible. The majority of the people live in this community, would, in some way, would identify as a Christian. Majority, an overwhelming majority. But unfortunately, they have a familiarity with Christianity, and they believe that familiarity is what they call a personal relationship, and it's not. Being familiar with Jesus is not a personal relationship with him. They think they're saved because they identify, they believe, and they believe these certain facts, these spiritual facts, and they're the ones I fear the most. I'm not afraid of them. I'm afraid for their soul. Does that make sense? That's my fear. Because it's people who are living a lie. But they don't believe it's a lie anymore. They believe, that they, they believe their own lies. So therefore, they're self-deceived, and, and they're the hardest person to reach. You know, we think the heathen who we think is busting hell wide open is the hardest person to reach. They're not. It's the religious. It's those who think they're something that they're not. They are the most difficult and here's why. they got enough religion to be dangerous. And they got enough religion that they don't want to be exposed. I always say it this way. You know what? I want the Holy Spirit to work in my heart, expose things to me, make it, make it obvious so I can deal with them. I, you know, again, it's not that I have to do these things to be saved. I, want to be, I have a heart that I want to be more like Jesus. But what happens is this, you know, when we're in certain situations and something comes to the surface, we can deal with it truthfully, honestly, transparently, or we could double down and we can keep on living a lie. Only when the truth sets you free can you live free, truly free, understand truth, live the truth. So why do we lie? What, what's at the foundation of lying? Whether it's speaking lies, believing lies, or living lies. What's at the root of our, of our lies? Because I think when we recognize what's at the root of our lies, then we can deal with it. Often we try to deal with the fruit that's on the tree already. You have to deal with the root. So I think one of the root reasons why people lie is this, because we don't completely trust God. We don't completely trust God. Our plans are better than his. Our ways are better than his ways. We believe that our lie, that our lie will work better than the truth. Well, the lie might keep me safe. The lie might protect me from destruction or, or fallout or, or shame, whatever it is. But suddenly we the lie we actually are embracing it's no longer safe because at some point truth comes in truth is revealed it always takes place maybe that we think that someone can lie and there's an exaggeration stretch of the truth will will make us better the problem is that when we have that takes place in our lives let's say we have a, a relationship with someone and we want to establish the relationship whether it's a friendship or whether it's something deeper than that 
and we begin to expand the truth, exaggerate the truth. Well, what happens is we're starting to build that relationship on lies already. It's a shaky foundation. Or maybe this, we have a situation and, a, and there's a friend or there's someone who's a coworker, and rather than being honest with each other and dealing with an issue that might be taking place, we try to skirt it because we don't want to, to go through the conflict. And what happens is this, we often don't realize this, that there's friendships that start with conflict they work through it, and sometimes those are the most powerful relationships you'll ever have because you weathered through a storm. You went through the toughest times as, as a friend. It's at the root. We tend to believe our lives will work better than God's ways. So let's make it simple as I can. Who is the devil? He's a liar, right? He's a liar. He's the father. Like, What's his native language? Lying, not telling the truth. Lying is, is, is a destructive tool. It's a way that he uses to, to deceive us away from the truth. So we believe truth is a person, correct? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So his name is Jesus. He is the truth. Jesus said this, John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So lies bring bondage, but the truth brings freedom, and thank God for it, amen? Satan wants us to tell lies, to believe lies, and ultimately to live lies. But Jesus wants us to know the truth, to walk in truth, and to experience the truth, and ultimately he just wants us to live that life, to live truth. And Satan has a plan. It gets you to lie, to believe a lie, and again to live the lie. We can see that these two are always in conflict with each other. One seems more appealing to our sinful nature, because what the sinful nature does, it wants to stay undercover. It doesn't like to be exposed. It doesn't like to be shown up. It doesn't like to be shamed. It doesn't like to, 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 you know, it's ugliness to rear its head. But the spiritual side says it's got to die. It's got to be brought down. So there's this conflict that's always taking place. But God's plan is simple. It's powerful. It's free. And, and what is his plan? It's simply this, that we confess to God for forgiveness and we confess to others for healing. We confess to God for forgiveness but we confess to others for healing. Now, can I say something? This is something that some denominations do better job than what we do. That's Pentecostals. Because here's, here's our attitude. I don't need to talk to anyone. I just talk to God. How does that work for you? How does that really work for you? But can I tell you what? There's a path towards healing and restoration that's much quicker if we would just do it God's way. So look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And thank God for his promises. So when we confess our sins to God, what does he do? He cleanses us. He forgives us. He separates our, us from our sin. Thank God for that. As far as the east is from the west, he doesn't hold us against us anymore. He cleanses us. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. We confess to God. Not so much for his sake, but for our sake. He already knows we've sinned. So we, we confess to him for our sake, for restoration. We confess to him saying, God, I need forgiveness and I need grace in my life. But that's only a portion of the equation. And that's really the only portion we are comfortable with, with sometimes. Because the confession to man part is, sometimes we just don't like that. And in a small religious community, we definitely don't like that. It makes our life very uncomfortable. 
But listen, I'm telling you this, if we can tap into this, we can find greater freedom in our lives, greater victory in our lives. Look at this. If we confess to God for forgiveness, that's great. But the second layer, and it's in God's word, check this out. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Well, let's just take that right out of the Bible because I don't like that. I don't want you to know what I'm going through. I don't want you to know what's in my closet. I want to know what's in your closet, but I don't know what's, on, what's in my closet. Does that sound familiar? But we, we want to know. We go scanning on Facebook. We stalk. We look for all kinds of stuff. But Lord have mercy if your closet's opened up. That's why, you know what? I love God's conviction. Because often with conviction, he gives you some grace. And grace to do this. Hey, just be honest. Just be open. Be transparent. And then when we resist it, what happens is it goes to a different level. When we're dealing with different things, God says, okay, we've done it your way. Let's do it my way now. How many of you have ever tried to hide something and it blew up on you? Boy, isn't that great? Isn't that just fun? Stinks, doesn't it? You think we would learn, but we don't. So we confess to God for forgiveness, but the second layer is confession. Look again, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now listen. I'm just saying this, pick your person wisely. If you, if you pick someone who's got a long tongue, then you are dealing with that disaster there. If you're dealing with someone who's highly critical, that's not the person to go to. Jesus says, if we confess our sins to one another and we pray for each other, that we might be healed. Again, this is a direction that we don't want to go. Healing, powers, healing has power and it begins in confession. And I have, I have people in my life that I can confess my sins to. Meet with them every Thursday. There's nothing around that table of, with breakfast with fellow pastors that is sacred. There's no competition. There, there's none of that. You know what? We don't, we don't invite every pastor to it. Here's why. Because, listen, I'm telling you, pastors are fickle people. So once you get a brotherhood that's established or a sisterhood where there's trust, you can reveal anything in that circle and it stays in that circle. You don't have to fear that, you know what, your garbage is shared in your pastor friend's next message. But we find healing in confession. But here's, again, here's the major stumbling block. It's religious pride. It's religious pride. Again, living in a small community where everyone knows someone else or we're related distantly to this person, we believe, we believe this lie that if I confess my sin, my struggle to this person, they're going to take it, and they're going to use it against me, and they're going to ridicule me behind my back. So we have to stop believing lies. We have to start believing the truth of God's Word. And there, there are some of you right now carrying a lie, just carrying it. You're believing a lie. Once you start believe, living the lie, believing the lie, you're going to start living the lie. And that's oppression. That's guilt. That's fear. And if you're the only one who knows your secrets, you are never free. If you're the only one who knows your secrets, you aren't free. I don't, if there's nothing else that sinks in today, let that sink in. Because that's the truth you need to hear. Listen, there's power in confession. There's power into bringing something into the opening. Finding someone you can trust. Find someone that you can reveal those things is so, so important. I have, I have friends, again, that if I brought something out and I've had this happen where something has happened and it's not been the right thing, and they don't sit there and judge me and criticize me, sometimes they don't even say anything. I said, well, I'm praying for you. You know what? Sometimes that's all we need to hear. 
and a lot of you are there too. You don't need a long speech. You just need someone's ear and someone's heart, someone who has the heart of God. So confession is powerful when you're in that position. The devil's a liar, isn't he? He is a nasty liar. And when he speaks, he speaks his native language. And that's the language he wants us to speak. And he not only wants us to speak that, he wants us to believe, believe that, and then he wants us to live it. But when we confess to God, he forgives us. And we can confess to others, we find healing. But the devil wants you in the bondage, and he will lead you in the bondage. He'll lead you away from the truth. If your flesh is more comfortable with something, that's probably a warning sign. When your flesh gets uncomfortable, well, I don't know about confession, that's probably telling you something that you're on to something good, something that's going to bring freedom. Listen, Satan wants you bound, bound in your flesh. He wants you living a lie, living apart from truth, living apart from freedom. God's, God's path to restoration and healing is always the best. And again, to our flesh, we may say, you know what? It just doesn't feel right. It, it just doesn't feel comfortable to me. It's a lie, and you're believing a lie. There's a better way. It's either bondage or freedom. Which one do you want? Again, I always say that if, if you don't want to go God's way, then how's your way working? The answer is this. It's not, and we know it. So let's try God's way. Let's, let's walk in truth. So lies or freedom, the choice is ours. When we know the truth, the truth will set us free to live the truth. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.